Calvinism, everybody says, can you define it in one sentence? The answer is so simple. No, you can't. It's not easy. I'm going to try to make it as simple for you as I can, but at least so you have a grasp of it. It's an eclectic mixture of widely differing groups that are all united by five prime doctrinal points of Calvinism, which are known and use the term tulip. But within that group, they permit great, and this is their term, theological freedom of expression beyond those five points. Varying degrees of Reformed, Covenant, Puritan, Augustan theologies are added to those five points. And they're combined with present postmodern beliefs and culture in an attempt trying to make Christianity relevant to today's millennial generation. Now, as I look out here, you're all in the millennial generation. You didn't even know it. If you're between 20 years of age and 40, you're the millennial generation in our world, 20 to 40-year-olds. That's who New Calvinism has targeted. If they can get that age group, the parents of that age group, they'll come to church to be with their kids. So they get them almost free. So they're targeting and trying to make it relevant to that generation. I'm going to quote a new Calvinist named Jeremy Walker. I love to quote people who are in the movement because they certainly aren't going to be an agenda to argue against new Calvinism. Jeremy Walker has recently written a book in which he talks about this theological freedom of expression. He says that's what makes new Calvinism not monolithic and not a single and uniform entity. In reality, New Calvinism includes a spectrum of groups. There are people in New Calvinism that are reformed in their theology. There are people who are covenant in their theology. Yes, there are Puritans. Puritanism is not dead. They're Augustinian in their theology. They're postmodern and they're charismatic. The groups include, in some of the terms we're more familiar with, Baptist, Charismatic, Fundamentalist. Many of the leaders of both the emergent church movement and now the New Calvinist movement have come out of fundamental Bible-believing churches. They're not coming from the Reformed churches necessarily. They have moved into this position. The glue that binds the group together is TULIP. Those five letters in that little picture of the flower speaks of the five prime foundational doctrines of Calvinism and New Calvinism. It is total human depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the saints. You say, oh, I know what each of those mean. I suspect you really don't. We wrote a book called, Oops, I Thought I Was a Four-Point Calvinist. You may have said that because you think that's sort of a safe position in today's world or something. When you look at their definitions, they are not what you think they are. But the new Calvinists are learning the true Calvinistic definitions of these terms. And that is what is making everything so seriously and so dangerous to the churches. For example, some of these groups are accepting gift of tongues and healing, signs and wonders. And when I say that, if you're from a charismatic background, you can almost forget your background. That's not what they're talking. They're going well beyond tongues. They're going into touching relics and healings of that type of nature. Very much a return to the Middle Ages of Roman Catholicism. There's one umbrella that includes a wide range of people in New Calvinism. I'm going to just throw out the names in case you've heard it. This is a New Calvinist. John Piper, Mark Deaver, C.J. Mahaney, Al Moeller, Mark Driscoll, Matt Chandler, Kevin DeYoung, Legan Dungan, Tim Keller, Don Carson over here in Deerfield, um, John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul. I saw him appear on that video in the church today, R.C. Sproul. Uh, Joel Beakey and Ray Pennings, those last names you probably haven't heard as much. Oh, Rick Warren, Wayne Grudem, um, Francis Chan, and some others. If you look at each of these men's church backgrounds, you find that they gather together in the same speaking venues. 
the same conferences, they share platforms together, and they all can come together and say, we hold to the TULIP doctrines. But after that, they have a wide freedom of expression that means they can go all kinds of directions. And this is why it's so hard to zero it in and define it simply. The five points are clear. Therefore, what you do is you have a spectrum within New Calvinism. Now, this I struggled with because, and you'll see in a few minutes, how hard it is to pigeonhole people. I give names because most people aren't even aware of some of these men except by their name. And if you ask younger people, they'll know a lot of these names. But I have finally found, through the help of some neo-Calvinists, some neo-Puritans, and start defining themselves. And so I'm going to offer three titles here for three groups, and I'm going to define them for you as I have been able to put it together. Now, they may or may not always agree with all my definitions, but this is the way I can do it. We have three groups. On the left, we have neo-Puritans. If you can think back of everything you've had in your mind of Puritanism, we're talking about neo-Puritans, modern day. In the middle, we have contemporary new Calvinism. That, in the past, I would have called reformed, except today there are few true reformed theological people. They all have become new Calvinists today. And neo-Calvinism will explain each of these and what they mean as we move through here. Um, Jeremy Walker, again, has described New Calvinism in his recent book, and I'm quoting, it is a movement of characters or figureheads or personalities, celebrities or gurus. These are men who appear on the key websites, videoed in cool monochrome sitting around discussing great principles, actions, movements, while others sit in humble awe as they deliver their weighty opinions. End quote. I believe that his description well represents what I have seen. I have been asked to speak in Germany to about a thousand millennial-aged young adults, and, oh, they just hold these men up. And when I came, who was I to their challenge, their gurus? Um, these people, these men, project authority in a very shaky world. They are excellent at their public relations. Their presentations and deliveries are state of the art. They appeal to the millennial generation that's looking for authoritative figures and authoritative answers. But the fluidity allows for all types of personalities to be within the group. This fluidity or eclecticism within New Calvinism is exemplified by studying their views of the law. Yes, I'm talking about the Old Testament law. There are two divergent views. On the one side are those telling their adherents to obey the Mosaic law. Now, I have noticed they must like ham because they'll have ham, okay? But they'll talk about the law, and you should obey the law. Then, on the other extreme, are those who are telling their people that, you know, you glorify God when you sin. You glorify Christ by the sin. So, therefore, the more you sin, the more glory. Why? Because Jesus Christ is exerting his grace on you in your, his forgiveness and his death on the cross. So, the more you sin, the better it is. Now, I hope you're saying to yourself, hold it, I can think of scripture that takes care of both. But those aren't discussed. All right. So, we have these, these two extremes. Um, you say, well, hold it. How can a Neo-Puritan and a Neo-Calvinist get along? How could they be on the same platform together or write books together or go places together? It's very simple. Remember, the freedom of expression is allowed as long as they hold the five basic tenets of Calvinism. If you study it deeper, you find the legalist group reflects the teachings of Jonathan Edwards and the Puritans of the 17th century. And they look more like Puritans. 
The licentious group reflects the postmodern influences on neo-evangelicalism, and it really is kind of an outgrowth of the emergent church movement. If you're familiar with the term emergent church, it is a declining movement. Some of its leaders have become so extreme that any reasonable Christian can't even deal with it. The others have moved into the new Calvinist camp and are at least friends, and they're playing down the emergent. So that's kind of a fading away of movement. Now, the scriptures counter legalism in Galatians 2 and 3. Very clear. Deals with it totally. And they, the scriptures counter the licentiousness in Romans 5 and 6. So, uh, biblically, you can counter it. What you're dealing with is people's emotions and what they want and sort of what they, appeals to them. All right? As the name applies, Neo-Puritans hold 17th century American Puritans in great esteem. They consider them their mentors. According to Jeremy Walker, Walker again, and I quote, the true father figure of new Calvinism is probably more Jonathan Edwards than John Calvin. And even then, it is Jonathan Edwards mediated through John Piper. If you don't know the name John Piper, ask some young adult that you do know. They'll tell you. He is the premier spokesperson of New Calvinism. John Piper has stated in his preface to his book on Jonathan Edwards, I quote, This book is witness to my calling as a secondary teacher, not a primary teacher. Jonathan Edwards is the primary teacher in the Christian church, and I am secondary. Close quote. Now, once I realized the significant influence of American Puritans, I have to admit, I really started understanding this subgroup of Calvinism. I had heard them recommending people read everything Jonathan Edwards has written, recommending reading everything the Puritans wrote and study the Puritans. I couldn't figure out why. I now understand it much better. Now, recognizing there's a degree of confusion and lack of clear definitions within New Calvinism, John Piper used a recent, very recent, in March of this year, speaking opportunity at Westminster Seminary to outline his 12 features of New Calvinism. And I point out again, we have printed these up if you're interested. Here are 12 things that he says makes up a New Calvinist. Remember, he is the prime spokesman for New Calvinists. Allegiance to the inerrancy of the Bible includes... Tulip and Calvinistic soteriology, or how you get saved, is the Calvinistic view. All right? Then sovereignty of God and salvation, all the affairs of life and history. He moves down through 12 things. Of these 12, as I looked at them, I found that his second and ninth feature up there reflect Neo-Puritan ideals. They are, and I quote, the sovereignty of God and salvation and all affairs of life and history, including evil and suffering, and the emphasis on pietism or piety in the Puritan vein. He's not talking about just holy living. He's saying living the way the Puritans lived. All right? With an emphasis on the essential role of the affections in Christian living while esteeming the life of the mind. In other words, he's saying being scholarly, being very productive in it, embracing the value of serious scholarship, unquote. As you look at his other ten points, though, you see they become a blend from all three categories. And I put up symbols there to give you some idea. You can see the Puritans. The peace on earth is the Neo-Calvinists and views they hold. And when I didn't put one, it's kind of, eh, who knows where it is. And the bottom line is the key phrase you want to hear. When you hear the phrase gospel-centered, sounds good, doesn't it? We should be gospel-centered. We're talking gospel of salvation. They are not. They're talking a different gospel. Okay? And when they say cross-centered, you say, well, isn't that what we just heard a message on the cross-centered? Yes, it is. That's not what they're talking about. If they could, they would have you stuck at the cross and not growing, not maturing, but looking how horrible you are and how depraved a human being you are, even if you're saved and thankful to the Lord. I'm thankful for my salvation, but it's more than that. It immobilizes their Christian growth and spiritual maturity. So it's quite serious. We have, if you look at all those things, a confusion 
because of the wide divergency of beliefs. Now, we're going to look at the groups. Neo-Puritanism emulates 17th century American Puritanism. I was very kind. I didn't show a picture of the stocks. Characteristics, an emphasis on the sovereignty of God in the redemption of the individual. Anything wrong with that? No. Emphasis on the complementary roles of men and women. They say they are... They have to fit together and do what they're supposed to do. Women should be doing what they're supposed to do. Men should be doing what they're supposed to do. Uh, Emphasis on the visible church in worship. And notice the word governance. That means governing your personal life and behavior. Uh, Emphasis on strong literature and scholarship. And emphasis on personal piety. Interestingly... When they're talking about personal piety, they define what personal piety is, not by the scriptures, but what they've decided constitutes holy living. Things that they can look at on the outward and decide. Again, um, the Neo-Puritans, I want to cover some of these other points. They are non-cessationists. That means they don't believe the gifts ended of signs, wonders, etc. That's... Um, they also are moving into mysticism, which again is Middle Ages type things, the Roman Catholic Church. They are more than ready to accept cultural influences through drama, music, so their music will be very contemporary because that's acceptable to them. You say, well, I thought they were very looking for piety, but they can accept culture. You see, they're trying to pull them together. Um, They want to be part of a religious majority, or to use the millennial term, a community. Therefore, they use strong social internet media to communicate to each other, and they want to feel that they're part of this big global community, instead of being maybe a church that's isolated because it holds to scripture alone. Contemporary New Calvinism. Move on here. Historical position of Calvinism. It allows cultural adaptations based on social issues. So therefore, um, they are going to depend on the formal denominational or school ties that they used to always have. It'll be like going back to a church 20, 30 years ago in terms of the service. Uh, And they also avoid, and they say the gifts have ceased. All right. They avoid mysticism, and they have some rather strange views on separation. They will define separation being separate from one group, but they'll be ready to be on the platform with anybody as long as they hold the tulip. So their separation is a very wavy line. All right. Uh, representatives of this, oh, I should have said, Neo-Puritans, Representative John Piper and Al Moeller of the Southern Baptist. Of contemporary New Calvinists, you have R.C. Sproul Jr. and John MacArthur are part of that group. The next group is the Neo-Calvinists. They seek to follow the writings of Abraham Kuyper, and it's based on redemptive history. If you don't know what redemptive history is, we do have a book that goes into length on the upside-down gospel and talks about this. It is the belief of redemption of individuals as well as creation. Do you know this earth needs to be redeemed? Characteristics. This, first of all, is the smallest group of new Calvinists out there. Um, they are trying to achieve social change. Some of this should sound very interesting. They want to go back and restore the earth to garden-like conditions. They believe in the egalitarian roles of men and women. That's a big word for me. That means that women can do everything that men can do, church-wise, anywhere else, in the pastorate, etc., but everywhere. I'm not saying women are less equal. I'm saying God gave women a different task than men in certain areas. Okay? They believe in social justice and the equating of wealth throughout the world because that's getting us back to the garden. They are in strong alliance with many governments of the world in this thinking. 
Typically, cooperation between peoples and groups is based upon the issue, not doctrinal considerations. So separation over doctrine isn't a big thing as long as you hold the first five. All right. The subgroup appeals to those possessing a social conscious community mentality. Therefore, millennials love the neo-Calvinism. They desire philosophical, academic environments, and they're not too demanding on their own thinking and lifestyle is free of moral constraints. Um, they're very involved in global social issues. Uh, you won't be familiar with the names of two of them that are most well-known, but you might of the third. Tim Keller is minister of a New York Presbyterian church, an extremely large one. Ray Pennings and Richard Mao. So these are all characteristics of them. Again, an individual may hold to a mixture of positions. Regardless of the crossover or blending of teachings, all new Calvinists agree on TULIP no matter what. I would note that not all people labeled new Calvinists will fit into the exact same hole, if you will. All right? because there's a wide divergency. Any individual can hold a mixture of positions. John Piper, my illustration with his 12 characteristics, he holds a mixture of all three positions. He's not unique to one or the other, and that's true of many of them, and that's why, frankly, it's been hard to sort of pigeonhole them and say this is where they fit. So it's an inconsistency that makes classification so difficult to do. It adds to a confusion because you can talk to one fellow and hear one view and talk to another and get a different view. So young people, millennials that are following New Calvinism, very often are, are kind of struggling. Say, well, you really believe that? Well, I don't because I heard this. So there is a confusion. Um, regardless, though, TULIP is the key. Now... There are three things that have to be there that new Calvinism can help accomplish. There's a tendency of many new Calvinists to de-emphasize the need to proclaim the gospel of salvation and the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as the only means of salvation. Let me explain this de-emphasis. A hundred years ago, a Calvinist would go out and proclaim the gospel of salvation just like you or me. Because he read in the Bible, the Lord said, go out and proclaim the gospel. Now, he went out, when he met a man, he proclaimed it. He said, there, I obeyed the Lord. If the guy received Christ, he was elect. If he didn't, he wasn't elect. That isn't my worry. I obeyed my Lord and proclaimed it. Today, they're saying, that's not necessary to do that anymore. So they're de-emphasizing to obey the command of the Lord to share about individual salvation. New Calvinism are returning some of the New Calvinist churches to Puritanism. And we'll talk a little more what that's going to mean. And then there is an ecumenical appeal that New Calvinism has among the millennial generation. This appeal is very strong, very receptive in the millennial generation that is looking to know more about God. So, having said that, we're going to look at each of these three categories. Minimization of the gospel of salvation. Writing in the Huffington Post, which I'm sure you all read every day, I mean, this is probably one of the most liberal posts you could read, Steve McSwain poised this question. Is Jesus the only way? Now, this man considers himself an author, speaker, executive coach, and spiritual mentor. He answered, no, it is not. He is a former fundamental Baptist pastor. Uh, fundamental Baptist, not a pastor. His voice is joined with many, and this is what he wrote. Christians with their narrow beliefs and even narrower minds, now I'm sort of adding what he, how he said it, will become marginalized from a society seeking ways to preserve a democracy in a religiously diverse culture. What is certain is this, and notice this, the insanity between religions must end as well as the competition and exclusivity between them. 
In other words, toleration of all religions and exclusivity of none. Toleration of all religions today is a watchword in our culture. Therefore, there is a growing opposition to true Christianity. We can expect this as the stage is being set for the final all-encompassing religion of the tribulation. I firmly believe the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is the only possible way that an individual can obtain eternal salvation. It is through Jesus Christ he graciously offers salvation to anyone who chooses to believe by receiving him as their Savior. The Bible states, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved in Romans 10.13. I believe the whosoever is whosoever. All right. Calvinists reject the idea that Christ came to offer himself for those who are not of the elect. Don't fool yourself. All Calvinists who established doctrines, including John Calvin and Augustine, said that God elects some to heaven and some to hell. He literally chooses both groups. It isn't one is sort of a, a left-off, forgotten bunch. He chose for them to go to hell. That's not a God of the Bible. Uh, they are quick to add, however, that this election isn't based and some of you may hold to this, on a foreknowledge on God's part. Or in other words, God looked ahead at your faith and credited you and made you elect. They reject that fully, and yet we don't have time to explain it here. It is a form of Calvinism and election. And if you're really uncertain about it, again, I sound like a broken record, we do have a book about an alternative view of election. I spoke on it last year. Election suggests an egalitarian or equal view of people. It eliminates any possible accusation that God was partial in choosing certain individuals for salvation while excluding others. What that's saying is God didn't say, oh, you look like a nice guy. You're going to elect for heaven. Oh, you. No, God had no partiality. He just went, you, 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 you. They like that because that suggests that it is just equal view of people. Societies of religion today fall into two groups. Now, I'm going to try to walk through this, make it clear. It, it takes thinking sometimes. They call the typical two groups are pluralists or inclusivists. There's a third group that's exclusivists. I'm an exclusive because I, exclusivist because I believe Jesus Christ must be trusted as their Savior to be saved. He is the only way. Okay? So, a pluralist. One who believes there are many paths to God. Jesus being only one of them. Since salvation came, can come through other religions and religious leaders, it surely follows that people do not have to believe in Christ to be saved. That is one of the views. That's called the pluralist view. Now, it's very interesting to me that Barna surveys, and I find them interesting. They're, they're flawed in many ways, but they are interesting indicators. A Barna survey said to the question, it doesn't matter what religious faith you follow because they all teach the same lessons, agree or disagree. 43% of the people surveyed said they agree with that. Now, that's, that's getting up there to be a pretty good percent, and this was in America, all right? Now, Fortunately, 57% disagree. And I hope that's where Bible-believing Christians fall, is in the 57%. That's our hope. All right. However, Barna then went on with another question. If you are a born-again Christian, do you believe Christians and Muslims worship the same God? And 40% agree with that. So that's starting to show this pluralist-type view. The second finding reflects indirectly this inclusivism and it's defined as one who believes this is very interesting Jesus has accomplished the work necessary to bring us back to God nevertheless people can be saved by responding positively to God's revelation in creation and perhaps through aspects of their own religions I should say this is the pluralist versus inclusive view from a Christian's viewpoint of how he finds 
people in general, but Christian leaning. Therefore, the inclusivist says we can include everybody. But yes, Jesus Christ had to be the one to pay the price. So it's a, it's a variation. And when you're talking with new Calvinists, by the way, you can't take everything they say, just say, oh, I understand what you're saying. Get them to define everything. Because they'll say something that sounds exactly what you believe and it isn't. In this case, Jesus Christ was necessary for salvation. I believe that totally. But he might say that, now well, you can find God's revelation through culture, society, creation, etc. So we have these two situations, and we need to be careful. Another chart that we have, I have pluralism, inclusivism, I put new Calvinism, where new Calvinists typically fall, and biblicism. Biblicism is a term I'm promoting, because I don't have a better term for it. You know, you always got to name it after somebody. So I jokingly in a church say, name it after your pastor if he believes the right things. But we're going to call it biblicism. Salvation is accomplished under pluralism by God. Inclusivism says it's accomplished by Jesus Christ. New Calvinism says Jesus Christ. Biblicism says new Jesus Christ. I want to show you here how you could be talking, thinking you're on the same wavelength, but you're not. The access to the path. One is recognition of a God. Another is recognition of general revelation. I used to have a boss. We'd look at the mountains on some business trips. And he says, I see God in the mountains. Isn't that great? That's great, but that's not salvation. The New Calvinist says it's only by regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration comes before a belief in Jesus Christ. According to some new Calvinists, it could be in the womb you're regenerated. Some the moment you're born. Some when you're confirmed. But it's always before you acknowledge and receive Jesus or believe is their term or have faith in. Because they don't talk about a decision. Because you're already elected, see. Biblicism says, says personal acceptance of God's offer of salvation. Big difference. Path to salvation. First two, there's many paths. The last two, a single path. Who is eligible? Well, pluralism, inclusivism, interestingly, agrees with biblicism. Anybody is open to it. It's just if they take the right path. New Calvinist says, no, only the elect. The rest of you who weren't elect, you were created by God with apparently no purpose except to go to hell. I have yet to find a Calvinist can give me a purpose for the non-elect except that. That's sad. Basis of acceptance, belief in any religion, belief in anything or any religion, election, and I would say by faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone and nothing else. New Calvinism's exclusiveness. Now, this is interesting. This is this statement by a well-known New Calvinist. One who believes that Jesus alone has accomplished the atoning work necessary to save sinners and that the knowledge of and faith in Christ necessary for anyone to be saved. We read that and it almost doesn't sound bad. Uh, Jesus alone has accomplished the atoning work. Absolute agreement. To save sinners with the knowledge of faith of and faith in Christ. Knowledge of faith. You see, you don't make a decision to receive Christ under salvation. You're already regenerated. You're already born again when God did it, whether it's in the womb, at birth, or confirmation, God did it. What you do is you acknowledge a knowledge that Jesus Christ is the Savior. You say, is that faith? Well, I ask, what are you trusting in your election or are you trusting in your faith in Jesus Christ's death on the cross? There is a difference, you see. So you watch the wording. That sounds fine, but I know from other writings and comparing this own, knowledge of and faith means a mere recognition. And I'm, I'm going to use the word for simplicity, head knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, those wanting to avoid personal responsibility of sharing the good news or the gospel of salvation, they love Calvinism. And millennials want to avoid uh, personal responsibility. Why? I don't have to witness to anybody because I have a doctrinal basis. 
they are elect or not elect. See how that takes, uh, you've had it. Sat next to somebody in an airplane, started talking to him. You think, boy, should I share the gospel? And there's a, I don't care who you are, at some point in your life, especially early on maybe witnessing, there's a little hesitancy, isn't there? Well, they can say, doctrinally, I don't have to do it. God elects them, not me. New Calvinism offers no personal responsibility to witness. A minimal missions are deflecting what a missionary is supposed to do in the field, and it's a doctrinal out for them. When it comes into a local church, one of the first things they will do is redefine individual evangelism. They will talk about gospel-centered life and the need to deal with social equality, social ills, etc., to redeem the world. If they use the word gospel, they won't define it as the gospel of salvation, just the overall religious Christian teaching. Redefine missions, they will question the purpose and the goals of your missionaries. I was in a church that I was dropped as the missionary because my goal is to see people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior by sharing the good news of salvation. And that's not what they were looking for in missionaries. They want socially and culturally active missionaries. So they rule out individual evangelism and they want to rule out salvation-oriented missionaries. Instead, they're asking, how is the missionary transforming the culture where he is? You change culture by changing hearts, not externals. This is Tim Keller, pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church, New York City, the largest one there. He says, the primary purpose of salvation is not the calling of lost souls out of darkness, not the establishment of Christ's kingdom, not the building of his church nor the preparation of his people to be the bride of Christ, but notice, but to make the world a better place. He is very popular to be read by new Calvinists. Quick review. Election based on Calvinism. They teach that before you are regenerated, you are a stone incapable of any kind of spiritual response You're dead as a stone. There's nothing in you, period. That's how they define human depravity. Then they say at some point you are given a pre-belief regeneration. In other words, that's when you're saved. And then later in life you acknowledge that belief. This is the Biblicist. You are spiritually dead, and the word dead in the Bible means separated from God because of your sins. doesn't mean you can't hear the word. What does faith come by? Hearing. Hearing. See, but if you're a rock, you can't hear, can you? All right? You make a deliberate conscious decision to receive Christ. To as many as have received him, to them gave he power. And you then are regenerated. You're born again. You're justified. This all happens. The regeneration is instantaneous, and you have a new creation. You move on. Big difference. Satan's pre-tribulation strategy number one. With the rapture, true believers by faith alone in Christ are going where at the rapture? Up and removed from the earth. True? However, people who have a head knowledge of salvation but have never received Christ, what's going to happen to them? They're going to enter the tribulation. All right? And unbelievers will also enter into the tribulation. And there will be a counterfeit Christianity in the tribulation with a Christ, the Antichrist. See? So what you've got is going into the tribulation is a group of people who have a form of godliness, who think they're the elect, but they could move right in and be ready to support a imitation Christianity. Satan's pre-tribulation strategy number two. Emphasize personal piety, works, Puritanism in new Calvinist churches. Now I want to just briefly preface this. I believe in holy living. 
I believe in godly, separated living that's genuine from the heart. And when I'm wrong, the Holy Spirit corrects me and directs me and teaches me. They're talking much more than that. Augustine has said, No one prior to death can possess the assurance of final perseverance. For no one can know if he is among the elect. In other words, till the day you die, you don't know if you're the elect. No Christian, John Piper, can be sure that he is a true believer. Hence, there is an ongoing need to be dedicated to the Lord to deny ourselves so that we might make it. Okay. And you heard here a couple of years ago, John Piper, uh, John MacArthur, a tape where he literally said that you can't know until the day you, he couldn't know until the day he died if you'll be in heaven. If you are elect. How do you know you are saved? There's only one way I can look at you and say you must be the elect in this earth. I look at what you do. Your works. And if you do works that I think are signs of the elect, that's your evidence. For you yourself, how do you show that you're elect? You go out there and you do all these godly works that reassure you that you're a Christian. And you keep doing it till the day you die. Do you know what I do? As a true believer in the scripture, I have trusted in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. His word says these things are written that you may know with certainty you have eternal life. So how do I know that he will keep me, according to Jude? I am preserved, is my word, not perseverance. Because by his word, he said, I have received him as my savior. He died for me. He will keep me and take me to be with him. So what do I do works? It says Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. 2, 8, 9 talks salvation. 10 says you are created unto good works. They flow out of you if you're listening to the Holy Spirit and you're serving your Lord. So I don't need evidences. I nearly, merely have to say by faith alone. But under election, you need evidence. And that means we need to examine your life and to be sure you're following the law. And when you get in, these people now, I'm going to, I can't assume everybody's saved in this room at all. But I'm saying, let's for now say you're all saved and you're all going out of the rapture. The new Calvinists will go into the tribulation and the law will be strong by the Antichrist and they're going to like it. Because that will give them more evidence of their loyalty and their salvation. Um, recently I got an email. I work with many churches. It seems like I'm averaging about two calls a week about churches that are detecting something in their church that's bothering them. What it usually is, they don't hear anybody, any urging of go out and share the gospel. I got this email, and I've changed it a little bit just to protect everybody. Uh, Rob, eventually pastor preached from the pulpit that Christ died only for the elect. I alerted my husband. We both began listening very closely and became quite alarmed that no one else seemed to be listening or raising concerns. As we pushed harder to discuss this issue, we were both removed from our ministries, ministries that we had held for 23 years in the church, and we were told that we were in sin. Since we left about seven months ago, the pastor has now begun a series on Calvinism. From my understanding, many folks are upset and have begun to complain about the teaching. Anyone who challenges them, the pastor or the leaders, are seen as in sin. They are arrogantly moved through the body, lording over the church, the, the leadership, and creating an atmosphere. Notice, discontent and distrust, it's like a cloud of oppression. Two years prior to this email, I spent hours with this pastor on the phone warning him he was moving into New Calvinism. This is real, what's happening today. There are many churches similar. The goal of Puritanism. August Augustine maintained that the church should, be turned over, should turn over dissenters, that's anybody who disagrees or is in sin, to the what? State for torture and loss of property. According to the writings of the Puritanisms, the goal is to establish righteousness in politics, homes, and society at large by the church. Now you think very quick, and I have to move along quickly here. You think about this in the tribulation. The Antichrist rules the government and religion. 
if you disobey him, according to the scriptures, you are to be martyred. You have come in as a new Calvinist believing in all these Puritans that you have read, and he's going to just, the Antichrist, do just what you would expect, and you are going to support him, because you don't know Christ. Uh, David Beale, some of you may know, he's quite a church historian. Um, the Puritan taught that any rebel against the civil government was a rebel and traitor to God. Again, think of the tribulation. Furthermore, a leading Puritan divine wrote, you must submit to the ruler's authority whether they be good or bad. Under all circumstances. That's Puritanism. That's what's being urged to be read by John Piper and other new Calvinist leaders today of their people who are following them. Strategy three, utilizing pragmatism, commercialism to draw the millennials under the influence of prominent leaders who enthralls them with seemingly deep theological rhetoric that evokes an aura of triumphalism. You will find if you meet a new Calvinist, they have what I use the term evangelistic zeal for new Calvinism. They push and push and push you to become Calvinistic. They are following their leaders. They talk about these men almost as if they're gods. I can't believe it because very often you'll show them right from the scripture where they're wrong. They'll say, yeah, but John Piper said, Al Mohler said, R.C. Sproul, that's the bottom picture, said. And therefore, they will follow the leaders rather than the truth. Time Magazine declared New Calvinism the third idea changing the world right now. When that article came out in time, in a blogosphere, and that's where all the New Calvinists are writing, here is a quote from one. Wow, we're important. They're listening to us. We've got a seat at culture's table. Millennials want to be part of the community. They want to be part of the majority and always where the majority is going. Think about that in the, millennia, in the tribulation. It appears the Antichrist is where the majority is going. So they're ready to follow him as their authoritative leader. Um, Jeremy Walker talked about New Calvinism, a movement built around names. And it's hard to avoid John Piper is the Piper. <laughs> Other strategies. We've got to touch on these in about briefly, a few seconds each. Mystical worship styles, that came from the emergent movement. It is now coming into New Calvinism. If you've ever read Daily Bread, there was an article over a year ago that was a pure mysticism technique from the medieval ages that is being urged in Baptist churches today to be followed and has become very popular. Emphasis on Roman Mary, those of you who heard me speak some seven years ago or so, about the final religion, Mary is crucial to it. She is now returning in very high positions in many New Calvinist writing and teaching. The Roman Catholic Eucharist, it's not the Lord's Table anymore, it's more the Eucharist. That is Roman Catholicism. <coughs> Unification, excuse me, <coughs> Roman Catholicism, Reform groups, the Church of England and the Roman Catholic Church are a minute step from totally total reunion now. They aren't officially, but they are now sharing priests, etc. And I've been in Britain for many years. And a growing anti-Semitism. Why? Remember what I said. For Satan to retain his kingdom, he's got to destroy every last Jewish person. According to Reynolds Showers, some of you know his name, excellent theologian. Covenant theology was introduced to America primarily through the Puritans. Covenant theology says that God has replaced the Jewish nation with the church today. And that God is done with the Jews because they crucified Jesus Christ. Therefore, the church is what counts today. And through that teaching... Anti-Semitism has spread throughout Europe and elsewhere in the world, and it's growing in the churches today. Who are the leaders of boycotting the nation of Israel today? Religious leaders, it is Reformed Covenant churches and theologians. It's all leading to the tribulation. 
Jude 3rd, I exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Why do I name names? Why do I try to project a possible scenario? Because Christians have to become alert to what's going on around them. And if you are with some people and they say, oh, I read this fabulous book by John Piper. Watch out. Ask your pastor, what books do you read? And if they start listing new Calvinists, you can expect where they'll go because rarely is it just research or rarely do they change the path. These men are masters at writing. They're subtle. They don't define terms. You feel like you're one of them until you carefully look at each word. And before you know it, it'll be too late. What do we need to do? We need to emphasize the need for evangelism and evangelistic missions. Check your mission boards. The board says, oh, my missionaries are doing wonderful jobs. Then you check some of the missionaries and they're no longer evangelizing. They're doing cultural changes. You have to check each missionary to find out where they still stand. Resist the introduction of Puritan thinking into the churches and homes. But stress holy living. There's a difference. And remain separate in lifestyle and sound doctrine while bearing in mind that Christians will always, always be the minority, not the majority. I have moved very fast. I apologize for that. I, I, just, I always try to stir your thinking, then you do the more digging. So I hope you'll dig into it. Keep alert. Feel free to contact us, ask questions. Uh, we have some people in here that their church did, and today their church is preaching the gospel again. So please do that. Again, in-depth is there, much slower, the charts and everything if you're interested. Thank you for coming. I'll close in prayer.